It's Big John. It's Panic Attack. Welcome to, uh, I guess you call this my annual September 11th story. Um, something I've done every year since I've been podcasting. Um, it was a day that affected me, emotionally affected me as an American. Um, I always have a, a little TV or internet marathon of uh, September 11 shows um, on this day. Just to remind me, I remember, uh, I don't know, could have been 20, I mean, it's been over 20 years since September 11th, uh, terrorist attacks, but uh, a few years after that, I was hosting a cookout for some friends on the 4th of July, and uh, I remember one of my, my closest friends at the time uh, came to my apartment to meet me and hang out while we were waiting on the, the others, and uh, we, um, he walked in and I was watching a video cassette, one of those big black things that used to go in VCRs. Uh, and I was watching the, the news footage from that day. It was just, you know, <laughs> in a way it was like a random day. It wasn't like a patriotic 4th of July thing or something. Uh, I was just doing it. And uh, I remember him telling everybody how strange he thought that was. <laughs> and uh, everyone agreed with him. But... I just, I love history and I, I it, it breaks my heart what happened that day to those people. And uh, I know there's the Alan Jackson song, Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning? But while I light my cigar, I kind of like this Brooks and Dunn song better. of time I think you know some people say this is the most divisive time since the 60s or 70s I'm not going to get into all that tonight but only in America 
can we dream as big as we want to? Um, in my life, I've had the fortune of meeting people from all around the world. And they all come to America with a dream. Um, I've met people from Saudi Arabia, women from the home country of those 19 hijackers. And they all tell me they love it here because they have rights and freedoms. Um, I'll leave it at that. My September 11th started like, um, sorry, my old office chair here squeaks. Um, but it started like a normal day. I was at Kent State University. I was working in food service or dining services. And I worked a snack counter at one of the office buildings. So I guess I usually got there around 7 a.m. I don't know. Uh, it was always early. Uh, maybe we opened at 8. Maybe I started at 7. I don't know. Um, and so I was there, usual mundane day, you know, the secretaries were coming down from their offices and uh, other office employees were coming down to get their breakfast, their, their coffee, their water, their whatever they kept at their desks, their snacks. And we... We're going on about our business. And one of these secretaries kind of scurried up. I think it was female. Pretty sure. And she said, did you hear a plane hit the World Trade Center in New York City? They don't know what's going on. They, they think it was like a, a private airplane. Like a small, I don't know why I'm using my hands to describe small. But um, they thought it was like a, a lost plane. Somebody got off track. Because, you know, we, we didn't have Facebook and the internet was still sort of a new thing. It was only six years old. Uh, in fact, I think uh, pretty sure CNN's website crashed from all the people trying to log in and get on and see the news. Uh, people didn't have televisions in their offices or wherever they were but they had internet um, this is probably like the first big internet story where people were jumping on news websites trying to get the latest information uh, and there weren't streaming services a lot of it was still dial up so nonetheless news was slow in fact the fastest news was coming in on the radio and everybody in the offices turned their radios to the uh, local news station. I think it was WKSU, as a matter of fact, some of them. Or uh, WNIR out of Akron. And uh, as the morning unfolded, oh no, a second plane just hit the World Trade Center. And I'm like, oh God, this is terrorism. Because I've always been a nerd and I always studied terrorism because it fascinated me. Um, I think it was that summer I took a class by Dr. Hanna Fraj at, uh, at Kent, um, 
about terrorism, nothing else, just about terrorism. So for that week, I was like the coolest person because I knew everything. Um, I remember the year before that in my geography class, uh, we were talking about Osama bin Laden and the teacher was like, we should assassinate him because he's attacked us. He was behind the 1993 attack. Uh, he had attacked many of our military bases overseas. And uh, that summer, in August, uh, there was a thing on one of the news websites. I don't know if it was foxnews.com or cnn.com or whatever. Um, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. I used to check them all. But I remember reading that uh, our bases overseas had been warned that there was a major terrorist attack being planned. And it, I don't know why, but something told me, why aren't we battening down the hatches here in the United States? Um, any terrorism safe checks, safe safety alerts, whatever you want to call it, we had in place were minuscule at best um, late in Clinton's term because remember this went on throughout the 90s Al-Qaeda and Bin Laden were attacking the United States but it was all overseas uh, it was you know attacks on like the USS Cole um, embassies uh, mil military outposts and I said why we ought to be on the lookout for a terrorist attack here. Because they had done things uh, in the subways in Japan and some other countries, other terrorist organizations. And so I'm sitting there and these secretaries are coming down. And uh, I call everybody that worked in those offices secretaries. They might have been higher up. I don't know. But, you know, the rumors were flying. The White House is on fire. A plane crashed on the Washington Mall. Uh, the Capitol building had been hit. Um, and then we got confirmation that the uh, Pentagon had been hit. And the, the people even then didn't know if it was a missile, but they were pretty sure it was another airplane. We didn't know about Flight 93 just yet. Um, but there were so many rumors. People just going crazy most of them thank god turned out not to be true um but sadly most of the facts were true um i remember my boss coming over to check on me because i was at this little lunch counter just by myself i need one person to work it and you know he came over to check on me and i was emotional you know thinking about the people in those buildings and they hadn't even collapsed yet uh, and then uh, he came back after the towers had collapsed and were talking and pe people were speechless. They were like, you know, he was, I mean, my boss was a talkative dude and uh, his name was Frank McGee, if you care. Uh, and one of the guys from the offices was down there and is like, oh man, you, you just can't fathom this, you know, because Frank was speechless. And I was too, and I was getting a little watery-eyed. And Frank's like, you okay? I'm like, man, I need to go to the bathroom, you know, just to so I didn't break down in front of him. 
and uh, I went in there and sat down, and I just sat on the 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 throne in there with my pants still on. Didn't didn't have to go to the bathroom. I just wanted to be alone, and I started to cry and I started to pray for those people, you know, because at the time we thought, you know, on the news they were saying. You know, 50,000 people pass through that building every day. Well, I'm in the city of Kent, and Kent is about a 30 or 40,000 person city. So my boss, Frank, he's like, man, 50,000 people might be dead in that building. That's like all of Kent and part of Ravenna. And I'm just like, man, you know, there's like 20,000 kids on Kent State's campus. Imagine, you know, 20,000 people on campus and 40,000 in the city all dying at once. That's what we, we, that's what we thought happened. And then they decided to cancel classes that day. And it was the strangest exodus of people I've ever seen. It was almost like, I almost felt like it was like watching the Israelites cross that Red Sea, the exodus because there, there was sidewalk here, there was street here, and there was sidewalk over here. And from sidewalk in the street and on the other sidewalk, it was nothing but kids, college students, marching almost in, in rows, almost in step with one another, but nobody was making a sound. Nobody was making a sound. So... They let me finish out my duties because campus was closing. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if this was the start of an invasion, if there were going to be more terrorist attacks. Uh, there's a an old army base outside of Ravenna, Ohio. That, and in the area, there's a lot of legend and folklore around that base. People literally think it's a nuclear base some people actually think there are aliens there i cannot confirm or deny any of that but people were saying that the ravenna the ravenna national guard armory or the ravenna armory was activated and that the military closed down route 30 route 43 in kent and ravenna to let the military vehicles in and out. That was not true, by the way. Um, so, I, I close up, finish up what I had to do. I, I think my boss took the cash drawer with him and said, you know, just go home. Just go back to your apartment. And um, I'm walking across that campus. And even though I, I didn't, see any tumbleweed it was just that eerie silence there was not a single person and it was around noon or one o'clock and normally you cannot walk across kent's campus at that time of day without physically literally really not bsing you bumping into people and having to dodge people there was nobody it was like you could hear the breeze and you could hear it was like you could hear the blades of grass moving in the wind, it almost seemed like. 
felt like an old western. I was expecting to see a tumbleweed going by me. It was that desolate. And I passed one kid. And he's kind of a stoner, hippie-looking kid. I don't know. He might have been a Republican. Who knows? But he just had that, you know, look to him like a, a pothead. And he had his backpack slung over his shoulder. And I just remember locking eyes with this kid. And it seemed as though we both wanted to speak, but we couldn't find the words. I wanted to stop. I wanted to, as I was passing him, I wanted to say, man, did you hear about what happened in New York City? Or did you hear about the the plane crashes? But you just couldn't talk. You couldn't think or speak. And so I, first thing I did when I got my apartment, I picked up my phone and I called home. And I got an answering machine when I really needed to talk to a person. But uh, my grandmother and my mother both worked. Um, and I just remember leaving a message on their answering machine and saying, I don't know what's going on, but I want you guys to know I'm safe. I'm back at my apartment. School's canceled for the day or something like that. But I just want you guys to know I'm safe. And that's how everybody seemed to feel that day. Like you wanted to reach out to your loved ones and say, I'm safe. Are you safe? I'm safe. Are you? That's all you could think of. And that night, there were two good things I remember in the aftermath. It wasn't the, the scare of gas, gas lines, at lines at gas stations. Although cars were lined up around the blocks trying to get gasoline because everyone's like, oh, we're going to go to war in the Middle East. We're, there's not going to be any gasoline. We better get it watched cheap. Uh, it was like a buck twenty-five or something. And a few gas stations did hike the prices to like five bucks a gallon to take advantage of, you know, a situation. But anyhow, the thing I remember is wanting to talk to somebody to say I'm okay are you the second thing that came to me that day and then in September 12th was people on the night of September 11th went to church they said churches filled up all across America. Maybe not every church, obviously, but people went to seek God and seek answers. That's a positive thing. It's terrible it took such tragedy to drive us to church and to God. But I see that as a positive. And the next day, classes reopened. We kind of got to the bottom of things. Um... About 7 o'clock at night or so, things had settled down enough. I walked to the local Burger King on the other side of campus. <laughs> I saw the cars lined up around the gas station trying to fill up before the, before the big war in the Middle East. Um, but the next day, September 12th, I walked across campus to my job. 
uh, to get ready to go to the Michael Schwartz Center to open the, the uh, lunch counter. And as I'm walking across campus, I'm looking in the windows in the dorms, and I'm looking, and I'm something I've never seen before or since on Kent State's campus. Nearly every dormitory window that I walked past had a big American flag hanging in the windows. The local stores, Walmart, Kmart, Target, were sold out of American flags. You're talking about a very liberal college, Kent State University. And they all put American flags up in their windows. Now, I had already had a big American flag in my window that I was using as a curtain in my efficiency apartment. I guess now they call them studios. There was nothing studious about this apartment. It was a living room that was... The living room was the living room, the kitchen, the bedroom, and then I had a bathroom. But in my window, there were no curtains, or no curtain rod even. So I put a, an American flag up there. And I was probably the only person on campus that had an American flag in their window. But not on September 12th and then the weeks after that. Everybody was an American patriot for a little while. And that's how I want to feel about America. That's why sometimes this channel is called Americana, the American way. It's about loving each other. It's about Americans helping their neighbors. And it doesn't matter if that's your neighbor next door, across the street or across the globe. And... I just, I remember that heartbreak and those tears and that tragedy. And then the next day you saw signs of hope. Within hours, you know, Red Cross blood banks were overrun with people trying to donate blood. The sad thing is, there wasn't, they didn't need the doctors. There was nobody to give blood to because everyone died. Some people survived, yeah, but those were the ones that got out of the, the towers and things after the first plane hit. There was no need for blood. Everyone was dead. There were people in the park at New York City making stretchers out of plywood that they had found, thinking there's going to be thousands of people that need help. If you got out, you got out. If you were in that tower when it went down, you were done. Um, but I just remember from that day, my experience of speechless, helpless, hopeless, hopelessness. The fear of not knowing what was next. And, you know, going home, turning the TV on. Didn't matter what channel, every channel was broadcasting the news and the latest updates. And that was my September 11th experience, being at Kent State at the snack counter and feeling lonely and isolated. I mean, it didn't matter if there was somebody next to me talking to me.
didn't matter if it was those silent kids marching home from class, if it was the kid I passed with the backpack that I assumed was a dirty hippie, and we looked locked eyes but couldn't speak. You just felt hopeless, lonesomeness. And then as you learned, okay, it looks like things are over. Our military and our government have things under control. Boy, that's something you can't say too often now. But things were under control. And it looked like this was a one-day big attack that was planned. You felt a little sense of relief. And I felt relief to talk to my grandma on the phone later that day. And, hey, is everything okay? I want you to know I'm okay. And, I don't know, grandma didn't feel the same sense of urgency or fear that I did. But... Uh, well, she had been watching the news all day, and you know, from the get-go, uh, where I had several hours of unknowing and just knowing rumors. But, man, the helplessness. And then, minutes, hours later, Americans coming together to help other Americans. That's what... I want to remember from September 11th and 12th that year how quickly we we, re, we regained our sense of nationality and, and love for one another because we were attacked by a faceless enemy that hated us because of who we are and what we represent. And maybe it was a small percentage out of the billions of Muslims around the world. But to know there are people out there that hate you for your freedom. And to speak to other Arab kids and pe people that come to America and say, I love it here because I have rights. Puts things about that day into another perspective. So I wanted to make this podcast to my annual where, where I was on September 11th. And uh, you can probably hear in the background a little bit. Uh, I'm watching um, Hulu and uh, the this this mini series is called 9/11: One Day in America. <sighs> so heartbreaking, and those memories of helplessness flood back. Another little tidbit about me. When I was a kid, um, I had a couple dreams. I had a lot of dreams. But they were being a police officer, being a professional wrestler, and being a Wall Street business tycoon. And at once upon a time, I saw a show on TV about those Twin Towers, and I always wanted to work in those towers. That was one of my, you know, two or three big dreams in life as a youngster and a teenager. Guess I'm glad that dream didn't come true. But Kent State University, hearing rumors, feeling helpless and lonely, 
wanting, just wanting to reach out to somebody and say, hey, I'm safe for you. And then coming together and loving one another after that. That's my September 11th story. God bless you. God bless America. Just listening to our little Brooks and Dunny jam on the way out.